Amen. Thank you, Paul. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I'm Robbie, one of the teaching pastors here, and we continue this morning in our study in 1 Corinthians, looking at our life together. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be picking up in verse 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Let's hear this as it really is, God's very own word to us, his beloved people. Paul continues, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, our key truth from these verses, the truth I'm hoping we walk away with this morning is this. God has given us a diversity of gifts and abilities so that we may pursue community by a constant and persevering care for one another. Let me say that one more time because it's, it's important. God has given us a diversity of gifts and abilities so that we may pursue community by a constant and persevering care for one another. Uh, dear friends, don't forget that the way that Paul opened up his letter to the Corinthians, and of course we remember that the Corinthians, they had a rough go of it, especially early on. It was difficult for them, coming out of their particular cultural context, to remember that they had a moral obligation in Christ to care for one another. It was far too easy for them to think to themselves, well, I'll hang out with the people that I'm closest to, the people that remind me of my social status, and the people that seem to have the gifts that make me feel most encouraged, but I'll forget or ignore those other folks. It was difficult for them. So Paul had to remind them who and whose they were. And so it's very interesting to me that Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 1. You don't have to turn there with me, but just hear how he describes the common life of the Corinthians, even in the very opening part of his letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship, uh, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So even at the very beginning of his letter, the opening bell that he rings is to remind the Corinthians and also us that we've been called into fellowship by our union with Jesus Christ. 
And as we saw last week, that means not only that we're called into fellowship, a glorious fellowship with Jesus Christ and the triune God, but also with one another. All those across time and place that God has called to himself and folded into the family of God, we have also been folded into that same family. And that's a wonderful truth, but so often we can ignore it or forget it. But, but think with me how often this truth is so much needed by us, particularly in those times when we are feeling very discouraged or perhaps we're wondering, where is Jesus? Where is the Lord in those times when I feel very far away from him? And it reminds me of something that Christopher Ashe, the Old Testament scholar, said when he was summing up the theology of the book of Job. We've been in the book of Job as a congregation a few years ago. Christopher Ashe summed up the theology of the book of Job by saying, every Christian should wake up every day with the conscious thought there is a spiritual battle being waged in heaven over me and my God is fighting for me. In fact, not only is he fighting for you, he is so completely invested in your good that he has already won for you in Christ Jesus. And this is the hope that we have as we look forward to when Jesus returns, just as Paul so wonderfully prayed a minute ago. We know that one day God is going to give us a front row seat when he destroys evil and all the bad that we've experienced forever, when he cuts it in half and, and decimates it into a thousand little pieces, never to bother us again. So God is fighting for us. Now, how are we going to hear that truth and have it really be something that deeply encourages us on a Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock? How's it going to stick to our ribs and really make a difference? Well, part of the way in which God has designed us to hear that truth and live it out is that we hear it and see it in community. So not only is it a truth that encourages me, but also it encourages my brothers and sisters. And I see how they are living out that truth day to day, and that encourages me also. So we have to be in community just to see even that basic, simple, but wonderful Christian truth that God fights for me. He fights for me, and he fights for you, and he fights for all of us. And not just at Christ Community Church, but all across this state, all across this country, and all across the world. And so we need community. We need to be deeply invested in community. We need to see the ways in which God has folded us into the family of God to be encouraged in every single thing of the Christian life. And so as we continue in this study of 1 Corinthians 12, I want us to see in these particular verses that there are really three doctrinal points that are important for us to hear, and then we'll follow that with a couple of applications for us in our common life together here at Christ Community Church. But the first doctrinal point I want us to see is simply this. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. So Paul begins in verse 12. Just as the human body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Dear friends, we should never tire of the amazingness, if I can coin a word, I want to do that sometimes, the amazingness of this truth that Jesus Christ condescends to describe himself as a body. That's how close he identifies with you and me, as to call us his own body. He's the great head. He sets the course and direction of our lives, but so interconnected are you and me to him that we are, as it were, his own body. Now, this means, of course, that we are wonderfully loved and wonderfully provided for and wonderfully cared for, but it also means that we have a wonderful obligation, and that is to take one another seriously as the body of Christ. So the church is not a creation of nature. It's not something that just is there out in the world. 
It's not a creation of our own instinct, something that we just naturally gravitate towards, or it's not even a creation of our own human insight, something that we thought up, but it is a supernatural reality created by Christ Jesus himself. And also notice that the church is a unity in Christ, but it is a unity with diversity, a glorious diversity. Though we are all different, we were made to drink of one spirit. Now, I, I hope that this is a reality that I don't want to say we've grown, grown comfortable with. because We should never grow comfortable with biblical truth in the sense that, you know, just sort of old news. But I hope that it is a truth that, that we are so accustomed to that perhaps we're losing the shock of it that it would have been for the Corinthians in their day. And it is for many in our day, too, that unity can exist with great diversity. Uh, this is something that's very hard for people, especially outside of Christ, to really get to grips with because we're so naturally wired to think that true unity can only exist where people are basically the same. Or they have the same gifts, they have the same temperament, the same personality. But in the biblical picture, and this is not just in 1 Corinthians 12, in fact, we could say it's the whole biblical picture. The biblical picture is that God delights in creating unity with diversity. He doesn't erase our differences. He doesn't have us all to have the same temperament or personality. No, he folds all of that into a glorious unity in the unity of Jesus Christ. And so this means for us that the particular character and the opportunities that we have within this body at Christ Community Church, they're a creation of Jesus. Not just random or happenstance. They're a creation of Jesus for a particular purpose. And we're being guided by him into the future. All of our future plans as we think about this year and all that we're praying for and hoping for as the body of Christ here at Christ Community, all of that is being guided by Jesus Christ. So dear friends, consider that this means that our spiritual maturity, as we grow into our knowledge and application of the gospel, our spiritual maturity is inseparable from relational maturity. I think sometimes we, 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 we miss this. But don't forget, of course, that the fruit of the Spirit, that, that wonderful passage in Galatians, I mean, what is that if not relational maturity? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you exhibit that? Except in community. Except in relationship. And, of course, our, our, the first love that we ought to have is a love to God, so we, we, we exhibit that in relationship with him. But then that's inseparable from our relationship to each other. As we said last week, the, the command that we're given to abide in Jesus Christ is inseparable from the command that we abide with his people. So, so relational maturity is inseparable from spiritual maturity. And, and so how we, we grow in our love for God is how we grow in our love for one another. And so very practically, this means that we need to be invested in learning simple things that maybe are not natural to us. Things like, how do you host a dinner party and make sure all of your guests feel included? <laughs> Simple stuff like that. We, we, we wrestled with this a little, uh, not, not very long ago, as we, as we thought together as a church, all right, how do we be more hospitable on Sunday mornings? How do we make sure that when people come into this place and gather with us to worship, we treat it almost as it were our own home? And you wouldn't walk downstairs in your home and see a stranger sitting on the couch and just ignore them. You'd, you'd want to know their name. You draw them out. And so in the same way, we want to know who's with us this morning. We want to draw them out. We want to make them feel welcomed. That's a relational and very practical concern, isn't it? It means that we think very thoughtfully and we're invested in growing in how to be a good friend. 
What does friendship look like? How do I, how do I be a good friend? And of course, there's a whole world of complexity there, isn't there? Because friendship, uh, it, it, I was reading recently a, a very wise woman called Carolyn Simon. She wrote a book about friendship, and she pointed out that one of the things that makes it difficult is that there is a sort of distance between you and your friend. In other words, you want them to grow in all that they are called to be as an individual before Jesus Christ. And yet, at the same time, you're along with that journey, right? So you have to be thoughtful. All right, what's the right time to speak? How much to speak? How much to encourage? How do I make sure I'm not being manipulative? How do I have a, a, a biblical understanding of who and whose I am and who and whose they are? So it's not easy, it's complex, but this truth does call us to invest in these things, to pursue friendship, because relational maturity is spiritual maturity. Hear how Todd, uh, Todd Balsinger says, he's a pastor in California. I, I found this quote very helpful. He says, In a culture that tells us to march on with ever greater self-reliance and self-expression, the Bible tells us that the story of our own life is not our own, and our journey is not our own. Our journey is not our own. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his people come along with us. Or to put it a little more accurately, we go along with them. And along that journey, a God who is inherently community changes our human community into his image. This is a wonderful thing. But as I said, it's something that we're going to have to continue all throughout our life together to invest in, to cultivate. Because our own journey is not our own journey after all. It's a journey with God and with his people into the future, into Christ-likeness. So that's the first thing to see. The church is the body of Christ. Secondly, we need to see that we sometimes feel that we do not belong to the body, but that does not make us any less a part of the body. We sometimes feel that we do not belong or are a part of the body, but that does not make us any less a part of the body. Here how how Paul says it, beginning in uh, verse uh, 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he continues, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, friends, I love the way that Paul says this, because if I'm thinking Uh, about this analogy or this metaphor, and I'm writing this, I might have said, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and uh, I'm not a part of the body, then everybody else, the other members of the body, should make sure that the foot really understands he is a member of the body. But Paul says, no. Just because the foot says, I'm not a part of the body, doesn't mean he's any less a part of the body. Uh, One of the reasons, friends, why we in our confession of faith the Apostles' Creed, these past two weeks, we've been saying, I believe in the church. You ever notice that? Sometimes I wonder that. Like, what am I saying that for? I mean, I understand what it means, I believe in God. I believe in the church. Why do I have to say I believe in the church? I mean, I can kind of see it, right? Ah, but can I? One of the reasons why we confess with Christians across time and place that we believe in the church is because sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes seeing the church in the image the Bible gives us of what the church really is, is as difficult to see as God himself. Sometimes we feel as distant from the church, from our brothers and sisters, as we feel as distant from God. So we have to say with other Christians, I believe in the church. It's an act of faith. I know, Lord, I've experienced your grace in community. I know what it is to be folded into the family of God, but sometimes it's really hard to see. 
So when there are those times, and there will be those times when we, whatever we are in the body, whether an ear or an eye or a foot or a hand, and we say to ourselves, I don't know, I may not actually be a part of the body, what the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit says to us is, oh, but you are. You are. Now, now how, do I, how do I really grasp that truth? How do, I, how do I live into that truth? How do I begin to really feel what I am if this is true of me? I have to invest. I have to cultivate. I have to remember who and whose I am. The Lord has not called me to walk this journey alone. He's not called me to exhibit his grace to the world all by myself. He's called me into the body of Christ. So sometimes we do have to say, I believe in the church. I believe in the church even when it's hard for me to see, but I know who and whose I am. Now, the Greeks had a similar analogy. Paul didn't just grab this analogy out of thin air. There was an analogy probably current in the time of the Corinthians that used the same image of the body to describe life in community or life in the political sphere. But they had an interesting twist to it. The Greeks used this analogy and they said, all right, In the same way that the human body has eyes and ears and feet, so the political body has eyes and ears and feet and a chest and a head and so on. And we know what really counts, what's really important. It's the things that see, the things that hear, the things that communicate, and all the rest of the body, that's really there to serve that, right? So if you are in a lower social class in society, if you're one of those ears or you're you're a foot or a hand, you should just be content to know that you're helping to serve the greater good. So stay content with your lot in life and make sure you honor those who are better than you because just like a body, you're a part of this. This is not what Paul is saying. This is not what Jesus is saying to his people. In fact, it's the inverse of that. But of course, we can see how the Greeks got there because that's how we think too sometimes, right? That's how the Corinthians thought. Oh, those those gifts that seem to give somebody a platform in the world, they can use their gifts to speak and people are edified and encouraged, we might think. They really matter. But those lowly people that set up chairs, I'm not so sure about them. I mean, it's good. They need to be there. They need to help. But, you know, the real mission is the people who are out front and center. That's how the Greeks thought. That's how sometimes we can think. Paul does not think this way. Jesus does not think this way. He says we should have the same care for one another. And, in fact, it is so deep that God has invested those parts of the body that we, we typically overlook those parts of the body that seem to be more routine and modest with greater honor. This is a wonderful truth that that we will continue to benefit from the more we cultivate a deep seeing of one another. There's a social commentator called David Brooks. He writes for the New York Times. He said something in an interview I listened to last week. He he quoted a a wise woman. I'm I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name, but she profoundly influenced his view of the world. He said, the chief task of relationship is to cast a just and loving gaze upon our fellow people. A just and loving gaze. And and he said that means that you really have to stick it out with people. You have to really get to know them. And the way that you really get to know them, he said very practically, I think this is helpful, he said very practically, is asking the next six questions. We can be partially good at this, right? So we're good at maybe asking the first six questions. You know, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? So on and so forth. He says the task to really getting to know someone is ask the next six questions. And then after that, ask the next six questions. Continue to learn about this person. Continue to try to cast a just and loving gaze upon your fellow people. And what he says about our common life in the culture more broadly is equally true for us at Christ Community Church. To ask the next six questions 
to invest in those that may seem to have a lower, or from a human perspective, a merely human perspective, a lower part to play in the drama of Christ Community Church, to see that they are, in fact, invested with greater honor just because of who they, whose they are in Christ Jesus. And so sometimes we may feel that we're not a part of the body, but that does not make us any less a part of the body. That's the second point. Thirdly, we sometimes feel we do not need other members of the body, but that does not lessen our indispensable need of them. I love that Paul uses that word indispensable. He says it in verse 22. Let me begin at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Dear friends, our own assessment of the gifts of others and of their importance of the church, our own assessment of our own gifts and their importance in the church is not the way in which we are to assess our community or our life together. I mean, very practically, of course, you and I know this. Our own assessment of our own gifts or the gifts of others is too often informed by worldly considerations and sinful motivations. And and God, as we see here, God frequently reverses our expectations. Those we often dismiss, he exalts. Things we think we don't need, he declares indispensable to our spiritual growth. The the truth of the gospel and the way in which we live it out in our common life together, it's not a truth that's just floating out there in the ether. It's discerned from within the community. So we need one another. We need every single one of us to help us to see the gospel, to help us to see how we're to live it out, to help us to see things that we would just miss if we were to call to live our life with Jesus Christ all by ourselves. So we need, we have an indispensable need for one another. So whether we are brothers and sisters who feel that we're very low in the church, or whether we are brothers and sisters who feel that we're very high in the church, we ought to dispense with all of these assessments of our own gifts, of our own calling, and instead see that our goal as community is to so invest in one another that we begin to see the gospel in a clearer and fresher light than we did before, just because of the gifts that God has given to all of us together. So those are three doctrinal points, I think, that Paul points us to in this text. Let's spend a few moments considering their application together in the community of Christ Community Church. And I think there are two ways in which we can see this truth and live it out more deeply in the year ahead. The first is cultivate a deeper conviction of these two inseparable truths. One, you have spiritual gifts that are needed at Christ Community Church. You do. You have spiritual gifts that are needed at Christ Community Church. And two, you need others at Christ Community Church who have spiritual gifts that you don't have. You can't have that one truth without the other. They both go together. You're needed and you need others. You have gifts and you lack gifts. Others have gifts that you don't have. So we all together are called to use the gifts that we've been given to build one another up in love. So very practically, dear friends, where do you see weaknesses at Christ Community Church? I mean, sometimes we may be embarrassed to talk about these things, and there is, a, there is a certain, I think, humility that we shouldn't always be critics. So I don't want us to always be thinking, all right, what's, what's going wrong in the church? That would be a bad application, I think, of this truth. But there are times when we're going to see things that we say to ourselves, oh, it could be better. So where do you see weaknesses at Christ Community Church? And are you considering 
that that might be the Holy Spirit prompting you to use your gifts to address that weakness. It's often the case that the reason we see weaknesses in the church is because we're looking at the church through the lens of our spiritual gifting. The Lord has not called any one of us to be the critic. It's too easy to be the critic. The Lord's not called us to be contrarians. He's called us to life together. So if you're looking at the church and you're seeing uh, things could be better here or maybe we're lacking in community in this way, are you considering that that might be the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that you're seeing those things because you're looking at the church through the lens of your spiritual gifts? And also, in what ways are you being challenged at Christ Community Church? It's often the case that you're feeling that, that, that sense of being challenged because you need the gifts of others at Christ Community Church. Uh, I don't want to, myself, adopt the spirit of a contrarian or, or critic, but, but a week ago I was listening to a podcast, not somebody here at Christ Community Church, but he was addressing his own church, and he was talking about how when he, he talks to other Christians, they often say to him, um, well, brother, that, that, man, you, you sure sound mean. You sure have a, a mean streak. And his response to that, I, I thought it was pretty sad. His response to that was, but I know everybody else out there, they're a bunch of liberal squishes. So I'm not going to listen to that. Friends, I, I think, now, I'm not saying that because I think that's the attitude that we adopt. What I am saying is something we need to be cautious about because sometimes we can hear things that we need to hear and we can dismiss it because we think, well, I know better. But often we're being challenged. It's because we're being challenged because others have gifts that we need to benefit from. Others have gifts that God has given to them to build us up in truth and in love and in faith and in hope, in relational capacity to love one another more deeply than we have before. And so let's remember that if we're being challenged at Christ Community Church, let's not often, we're, we're, we're too quick, I think, sometimes to say, well, you know, that's just because they don't know what they're talking about or I'm in a different plane or level of spiritual experience. More often than not, it's actually that the Lord is using the gifting of others, the insights of others that we don't have to build us up in truth and love. And so we need to develop a deep conviction of those two truths. We have spiritual gifts that are needed here. We do. Jesus has called us to this place for a purpose. And we also need the spiritual gifts of others, the insight of others, because we can't walk it alone. We're not called to this journey alone. We're called to grow in our love for Jesus through the gifting of others. So take stock of the fact that to benefit from the gifts of others, we must be humble enough to receive and take seriously things we often might otherwise dismiss. Community within the church is fostered by the exercise of spiritual gifts. It is. But the exercise of spiritual gifts is fostered by a basic willingness to take each other seriously and ourselves not so seriously. I think that's what Paul means when he says, when we say to ourselves, well, because I'm an eye or a hand or a foot, I have no need of you. No, in fact, what we should remember is that God has, ingrated, God has invested those that we might otherwise dismiss with greater honor. So we need, to take, we need to have a basic willingness to take each other seriously and ourselves not so seriously. It's also important to recognize that we've been, we have to be willing to receive criticism and pushback sometimes against our own ideas and initiatives. The growth of the whole body over time is the goal. And that takes time. It takes a willingness to be there, to show up, to persevere over the long term. Relationships, you know this, you and I know this, relationships are not easy. They're built over time. And we have to be willing to receive sometimes criticism that we might think is unwarranted or to receive from others, things, others that we might be tempted to dismiss, things that we actually need to hear. 
So it requires deep humility, but humility born out of the wonderful truth that we are dignified beyond our wildest expectations, that Jesus has folded us into his family because of how deeply we are loved. So that's the first way, I think, in which we can cultivate this truth. We can cultivate a deeper conviction that we have spiritual gifts that are needed and others have spiritual gifts that we need. And then secondly, persevere in cultivating relationships at CCC among the body of Christ. And very practically, consider two ways in which uh, you can do this. First, I'm going to speak to the younger folks in our congregation. Persevere in youth group. One of the ways in which you will experience this truth and live out this truth is to persevere in youth group. Because youth group is not designed merely to be a sort of secondary church for you. No, youth group is designed to fold you more deeply into the body of Christ so that you can see that you have a part to play for the family of God in the kingdom of God. And you can see that in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's true of youth groups is also true of small groups. Now, don't hear this as me saying that to be a good Christian or to be fully invested in the life of Christ Community Church, you have to be a part of a small group. That is not true. You don't. But small groups are designed to very practically help us to live out this truth, to live out our community, our common life together. So if you're not participating in one and you're feeling disconnected, let me recommend a small group to you as a way in which you can begin to experience this truth, perhaps in a deeper way than you had before. And consider some of the ways in which small groups help us very practically to live out the many facets of this truth. First, small groups help us to grow together with people we would not ordinarily fellowship with. That's why they're designed not to be affinity groups, where we just gather together with people who are in the same life stage as us, or the same ages as us. They're intentionally very diverse. I, I love the fact that the church is the, well, maybe not the one community, but it is the most extraordinary community in which we are called together with people we would probably not otherwise ordinarily associate with and given the command, love one another. And in fact, the command, love one another so that other people, the watching world, will know the love of God for everyone. Uh, That's wonderful. So small groups help us to live out this truth because they throw us together in community with people we probably would not ordinarily fellowship with. Now, now, it's true that just in ordinary life, and this is a wonderful and good thing, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this, but in ordinary life, we tend to make friendships to really grow deep in connection with people who are similar to us, in, in similar age ranges and all that sort of thing. That, that's a wonderful and good thing. But, but in the church, we're called to something even greater than that. We're called to learn from, to receive from the gifts that others have, and to use our gifts for them as well. So how are we going to do this? If all of our time is spent with people who are merely like us in every respect or in significant respects, no, we have to develop relationships with people that we would not ordinarily fellowship with. And so small groups help us to do that, both in different life stages, in different ages, with brothers and sisters together, with people with multiple children, people with, uh, who are empty nesters, people who are uh, single and so on. They help us to learn from and appreciate the gifts, to receive the gifts of others together. And second, small groups, this related to this first point, but second, it compels us to fellowship with and serve and love people of a different temperament from us, as well as with the same temperament as us, and to do this over the long haul. Over the long haul is important to continue to invest and develop relationships over time, because that's what Jesus does with us. 
Jesus doesn't call us to be Christians ordinarily and then immediately take us home. No, he continues to invest in us. He continues to grow us in relationship with him. And so we have to do that with one another, to invest in relationships over the long haul. It's not going to be the case, even in a small group together, or even in our common life together, that we're going to gather even over the course of a year. And at the end of the year, we're going to say, wow, I am appreciably a different person than I was at the start. I mean, I hope we can say that, and that's a glorious thing. But usually it's going to be harder to see because it's worked out over the long haul in the same way that our relationship with Jesus is. And thirdly, small groups can be a wellspring of opportunities as new people enter into our fellowship, as new people enter into the church, and a home base from which more opportunities for specialized and particular ministries can be discovered and prayed over. So so in small groups, we're not often going to say, all right, well, you know, we're meeting all the needs or all the, the, the practical concerns of this particular church through our small groups. But in small groups, we will discover opportunities for us to use our gifts in other spheres. It's in small groups that we're going to discover other people who have, have needs that we can serve. It's in small groups, typically, that we're going to discover our own gift for hospitality and the way in which you can grow into that. It's in small groups, typically, that we're going to discover the gifts of others that we can benefit from and that we can encourage them in. And maybe most importantly, it's in small groups that we're going to be able to pray for one another and all these ministries together, to bathe all that we do in in prayer to to the Lord. And then fourthly, it founds these ministries, all that we do together, upon the Word of God as, as we hear it, as we meditate over it together, and as we see how it applies to each one of us particularly. Uh, I think it was Matt who, who reminded us as a staff a couple weeks ago that the way in which we conceive of the preaching ministry at Christ Community Church, the, the sermons really aren't over until we've discussed them together. Uh, until we've seen how each one of us can learn from what the Lord is teaching us, how we can apply it in our own particular spheres of influence. So how are we going to do that? Well, small groups give us an opportunity to do that. And, and they develop relationships in, we can, in which we can continue to invest in that, continue to encourage one another. But don't conceive of the preaching event just merely as what we're doing right now. Consider that it has obligations for us, it has more to teach us as we gather, as the people of God, to meditate over it, to mull it over, and to encourage one another in it. And so small groups very practically provide an avenue for us to do that together. And then finally, it encourages us because small groups give us an opportunity to hear what the Spirit is teaching each one of us and to hear how they are receiving the Word of God as it is preached. So again, small groups are not the only way in which you can do that. If you're not participating in one now, I'm not saying this is not a word from the Lord that you have to now go get invested in a small group. No, there are other ways you can do this. But at Christ Community Church, small groups really function as, I've heard this phrase used before, as a technology for gathering. Every society has one. You know, it's just sort of the excuse to get together, the excuse to gather together and then begin to develop relationship. Well, at Christ Community Church, small groups are, at least our formal way, our formal technology for gathering so that we can live out the truth of 1 Corinthians 12, that we're not called to walk the Christian life as if it were our own individual journey. We're called together. We're called to receive the gifts that each one of us has received from the Holy Spirit and to use the gifts that we've received for the life of the world. And so a question for us as we wrap up. Uh, I I drew this straight from uh, Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp's wonderful book, How People Change. There are two questions they ask, and I think they're really good ones for us to ponder. How much does your life currently allow you 
to develop relationships that are deep enough to help you grow and change. It's something I think we're always going to have to return to and ask ourselves, especially since we live in a very hustle-bustle culture, an individualistic culture. So how much are we allowing our, our, our schedules, how much are we allowing our lives and the way that we set up our lives to give us space and room to develop relationships that are deep enough to help us to grow and change? And then as we think about that, what are some common obstacles that hinder redemptive relationships from developing in our lives? Sometimes the obstacles as simple as our schedule. We would just set up our schedule and it's reflected in our priorities, that we don't really give much time to community. Other times, the, the obstacle is more internal. Uh, we're, we're slow. We, we don't really want to be known. It's an indicative of the sinfulness of the human condition that our, our greatest need that we all feel is to be known and to be accepted at the deepest level of our being, and that, that's also our greatest fear. So we're going to have to work through that. And if that's where you are right now, I hope that you feel welcomed enough to come to one of the leaders, the elders, the, the, the elder uh, deacons, or one of the pastors, and let's walk through that. Let, let's begin to see how the gospel really changes our own self-conception so that we can be deeply known. But, but think about that. What are some common obstacles that hinder redemptive relationships from forming in your life? So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26, teaches us that, teaches us that God has given us a diversity of gifts and abilities so that we may pursue community by a constant and persevering care for one another. And I'm very encouraged that we get, having considered these things, to come to the Lord's table this morning. Because if there's one thing the Lord has given us as a sign and seal of our community together, of our being folded into the family of God, it's this table. Now, like me, I'm sure that, that oftentimes it's hard for you to see more than just some ordinary bread, as delicious as it is, and some juice on an ordinary Sunday afternoon in January. But dear friends, even in this very moment, what this table means is that the Holy Spirit is present with us now. And his intention for us in this meal is to give us Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to live out the community life that we have been called to. We can't do it by ourselves. We need one another. But in order to benefit from the gifts that each of us has, we need Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you're feeling lowly, if you're feeling weary, if you're struggling, come to this table because I mean to give you myself. And the Holy Spirit is even now waiting in the wings as we take these elements, these common elements on this ordinary Sunday, and he's waiting to give us Jesus if we come to him with faith. And so think about these things. Think about the glorious reality that Jesus has called us into a family. He's given us community in him. And think about the even greater truth, the even more encouraging truth that he tells us. And if you're struggling with that, I'm going to give you even more of myself so that you can see it all the better. So come to him with faith. So if the elders would come forward as we prepare to take these elements, a few instructions for us. We're going to hand these uh, trays down each of the aisles. There's bread in one tray and juice in the other. If you prefer to have uh, the single cup, there's a cup with a, a wafer in the top. You can just take that. Otherwise, take both the bread and the juice and hold it, and we will partake together. Before we do that, let me remind you that what Jesus did on the night before he was betrayed was he took ordinary bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take in the remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my name poured out for you. Everybody drink of it. 
And in these ordinary ways, he tells us that the gospel is a living reality even now. It's not just a historical fact, even a glorious one. It's a living reality for you and me so that we grow into the knowledge of, all, of who and whose we are in Christ Jesus. So let's ask the Lord to help us to receive this in faith. And let me pray that we would do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for all that you give us in community. Lord, we're grateful for your encouragement to us through these ordinary means that we get to grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lord, help us to take these things and to see Jesus. Lord, Lord, help us to take these things and to see Jesus in the face of our brothers and sisters, in the ways in which he has been present to us through the service of others, and the way in which we get to show Jesus in the serv- our service to them. Lord, help us not to be content merely with a a distant knowledge or apprehension of you. Lord, help us to see you more deeply with the eyes of faith. And may these elements grow us in that reality. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.